Good morning. Uh, before we get started, um, are Don and Ernie Hickman in here? Yeah, will you guys stand up? They're in the back. So we actually, the Hickman family had an unexpected loss this week. Don lost her father, uh, 74 years old. Um, it was just totally unanticipated. And so in moments like this, we want to gather around them as a family, as people who love them, as people who can encourage them and be present, because grief is hard, and, and unexpected loss is hard. But the good news is that we have a God who sees you, he knows where you are, and he knows what grief and sorrow feel like. So we love you guys. We want to be here for you. The viewing is on Friday evening. The funeral is on Saturday. I believe an email went out yesterday with the details. Um, but if you would like more information, please get a hold of us. And uh, take a look at Don and Ernie. Give them a hug as you head out today. We want to surround them with love and encouragement. Thank you, guys. Thanks for standing up. All right. So I actually um, have known since August that I would be teaching this morning, and uh, it took me forever to land on a passage to preach. So what we've been doing is Eric has been covering the life of David, and then that anytime any of us who are on the teaching team get up, we will do a psalm. But nothing was coming to me, and it took me forever to find a passage to preach. At one point, I actually abandoned David and the Psalms altogether and thought we might need a little bit of the prophets and was going to go with Isaiah but that didn't work out either. And then, so I was starting to get anxious with the Lord. And I just, like in nervous pleading, Lord, what are you saying? What do you want me to say to this? This is your church. These are your people. This message needs to come from you. And two weeks ago, it was during one of those moments of fear-induced pleading <laughs> that he responded with, there are some things that we need to talk about first. And I said, what, what, what things? I'm fine. I'm actually in a really good space right now. So I think like, I don't think there's anything to talk about. And he said, no, you're not. And I see what's going on and I know what's going on and we need to talk about it. So what is it? And I just thought, all right, if you want to do this right now. And I got out my journal and I began to lay it out. You know, I'm, I'm angry with you and disappointed. I'm a little bit sad and I'm frustrated because I hear you say things and I don't see them play out. I know that you're good. I don't see this goodness. The truth is, I trust you. I just don't understand what you're doing. And it actually ended up being a really effective time of journaling. A month ago, um, with Psalm 20, Ian asked the question, what do we do when we believe in God, but we don't trust him? And then a couple weeks ago, Eric followed up with, I don't know the how, but I know the who, as we looked at 2 Samuel 22. And I think that we might be on to something thematically. I think that the Lord might be trying to teach us something about himself in this space through the life and writing of David. And so we're going to continue in this vein, when, and we're going to ask the question, what do I do when I trust God, but I just don't understand what he's doing? 
So we're going to spend some time in Psalm 27 this morning. And in this psalm, David actually gives us a good perspective on what it's like to exist in the reality of what seem to be opposing moods. So if you would go ahead and stand up, we're going to stand for the reading of the word this morning as we look at Psalm 27. And it says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud and be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger, O you who have been my help. Cast me not off, forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. You can be seated. We see with this psalm what seem to be very distinct moods. We have confidence and anxiety, trust and fear. And we may be tempted to ask the question, how? How can you be confident and anxious at the same time? How can trust and fear exist in the same mind? But guys, you're human. Like, this is the way we live, right? We are a jumble of conflicting emotions at all times. If any of you have taken the Emotionally Healthy Spirituality course, um, you'll remember one of the exercises that they had us go through asked the following questions, and we had to write about it. What, so we had to write about, what are you anxious about? What are you angry about? What are you sad about? What is bringing you joy? And the interesting thing about that exercise is the realization that holy buckets, all of these things, are existing in me at the same time. This is what it is to be human. We have these conflicting emotions. And we see David here in Psalm 27 expressing his humanity. And he does it well. Because the first thing he does is draw upon the seat of his confidence and trust. In verse 1, he says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? So the first answer to the question that we're asking of what do I do when I trust God, but I just don't understand, is we recognize that our confidence is the Lord. Look at what he says here right from the beginning. He says, the Lord is my light. The Lord is my salvation. The Lord is my stronghold. There is history here that David is drawing upon. This is actually the only time in the Old Testament where the Lord is actually called light. 
Light is often used to refer to his presence, but David isn't talking about his presence. He's talking about God himself. This idea is picked up again in the Gospels with John 1, when he talks about how the word became, became flesh and dwelt among us. And he says, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can't, cannot overcome it. David is picking up on something about God here that would only later be fully illuminated for the rest of us. The Lord is light, light that illuminates the darkness, light that brings understanding, light that brings salvation, light that cannot be overcome. But pay attention because what we have here is military language. In the Hebrew, the word salvation is used for deliverance from enemies. A stronghold was a place of refuge. You would go there to regroup, to plan. You would go there for safety. You would go there to hold off an enemy. So even though we are seeing confident trust in David in verses 1 through 3, there's some kind of threat lurking in the background. And we learn more about this in verses 2 and 3. When evildoers assail me, when an army encamps against me, it's they who stumble and fall. I will not fear. I will still be confident. Something is happening in the background here, but David is building a case for his confidence. He has seen the Lord's proven faithfulness at various points of his life. Remember the story about Goliath, who was literally a giant. When David went out to face him, Goliath was the one who said, come out here and I will give your, your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. But it wasn't David who fell that day. It was Goliath. It was Goliath who stumbled and fell and then got his head cut off. VeggieTales generally leaves that part out. <laughs> An army encampment is thousands of soldiers. It's tents everywhere. It's the sound of horses. It's seeing your army spread out before you as far as the eye can see. And yet... David is confident. He has seen his enemies fall around him. He has seen the Lord show up repeatedly to not just deliver him, but to deliver the people as well. He can say that the Lord is his light, his salvation, and his refuge because he knows it's true. He's experienced it. Our trust in God comes from our confidence in him. And we can say that we are confident in him because we know him. We draw our experience from him. We build a case for our own confidence because we are going back to the well of our lives and drawing up those experiences where he has been faithful, where he has been good, where he has shown up, where he has been our light and our safety and our refuge the places in our life that lead us to the place where we can say, Lord, I trust you. Now, for me, this mostly looks like journaling. If I feel like the Lord is saying something to me, or if I'm working through a particular situation, I write it down. I write down my prayers. I write down the things I'm going through. I write down the ways in which he speaks or shows up or reveals something about himself. And then I have that to go back and refer to. But I also know dates. I can go back to May of 2001 and know that the Lord met me in a powerful way. 
I can go back to January of 2016. I can go back to December of 2017. I can go back to April of 2019 and August of 2019 because these dates matter to me because the Lord has shown up in powerful ways and I have to log that in my well of life so I can come back to it and draw it up when I need it. But what might this look like for you? We, can't build, we can help each other build up confidence in the Lord. But you have to start paying attention to the ways that he shows up in your life. So for students, this might look like Ignite. Ignite might be the place that you go back to and draw from. And some of you, it might be the one-day wall, writing down your prayer, presenting it to the Lord, flipping that card over, believing that he's going to show up. Or how about the prayer room? How many of you guys have gone up to the prayer room year in and year out and written down your prayers and presented them to the Lord or written on the walls? Whatever it is, whatever works for you, start keeping track. Mark the times in your life when you know without a shadow of a doubt that the Lord has shown up and has been light for you or a refuge or salvation in times of trouble, because there will be a time when you have to go back and draw on those experiences. And that's what David is doing here. But in verse 4, we see what seems to be an ab abrupt shift. David has been talking about his confidence in who the Lord is, but now he starts to talk about what he needs from the Lord. And he says, one thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. It may seem like a quick change of ideas going from building confidence to presenting a request. But really what we find here is the second answer to the question, what do I do when I trust God but? And David shows us the example. We go to where the Lord is. In the Old Testament, the presence of God was found in the temple. Now, it wasn't confined to the temple. God is not confined to anything. But with their system of worship, it was the temple that the, the presence of the Lord dwelt. And it was sacred, and it was holy, and the people loved it and would go there. So when David refers to the house of the Lord, he's talking about a specific location where he can go to be with God. Now, there is some debate about at what point David is in his life when he writes this psalm. But chances are he's nowhere near the temple. So chances are he's on the run or he's hiding or he's fleeing enemies because what we have learned from the life of David over the past several months is that that is a constant reality. I don't think that dude ever got to settle down. He was always fleeing from someone. There are enemies present at this moment in this psalm and even in the midst of this trouble, David's desire is to be in the presence of God. The presence of enemies for David is not just a physical one. It's a spiritual one. The presence of enemies is a problem that can deplete the ability of the soul to endure. And we're going to come back to that idea in a minute. But here, in the midst of trouble, it's the Lord that David wants to see. The presence of God is, is that joining of what is tangible and what is not tangible. It's what we believe and know to be true versus what we cannot see or feel or grasp a hold of. And it's this space, it's this presence of the Lord where 
where the soul can be fortified, where transformation can happen. And we learn in verses 5 and 6 that David is yearning for the safety that comes from and can be felt by the presence of God. He says, for he will hide me in the day of trouble. He will conceal me. He will lift me up above my enemies. He knows the Lord is his rescue. What David is saying here is, I just want to be where you are. I want to be near you. I want to see you. I want to experience your presence. There's nothing else that I want. There's nothing else that I need. Because David understands that the Lord's presence is where transformation happens. A little while ago, I was angry with the Lord because why does everything in life have to be some kind of lesson? I'm not alone, right? Obviously, I'm not alone if you guys are responding to that. Um, and at this particular point, I remember saying, I just don't understand what the lesson is here. And he very clearly came back with, it's me. I'm the lesson. Do you ever have moments that you hear from the Lord and it just shuts you up completely? <laughs> you have nothing, nothing left to say, no other complaints to be made. How often is he the lesson and we just totally miss it? Instead of seeking after him, we get angry, we get confused, and instead of pressing in, instead of going to where he is, we just leave it. We pretend it isn't there. I am really good at ignoring the Lord, like really good. And it hovers, it gets to the point where it just kind of hovers in the background, where I see it, I kind of know it, I know it needs to be acknowledged, and I just refuse to do so. Until it gets to the point where everything is spilling out everywhere and it's kind of crisis mode. But what do we miss if we refuse to seek after the Lord? By refusing to go where he is. By ignoring him and continuing on like everything is fine. What things could he be trying to teach us in that space about himself if we just saw him first? What would happen if we let him in to that space of anger or confusion or trouble? And this is something that David seems to have always understood about the Lord. And I think that's why we have so much about his life and so much writing from him. Whatever life threw his way, good times, bad times, confusing times, his method was to seek the Lord. Now, remember a few minutes ago, we started talking about this idea of the endurance of the soul and how enemies can pose a threat to that ability. Now, we very rarely have physical enemies now. What person is actually your enemy? They can make you mad. They're not really your enemy. More often than not, our enemies are enemies of the soul. When I spoke back in August, we talked about how the soul is yourself. You, you don't have a soul. You are a soul. So your enemy, more often than not, is going to feel like an enemy of the soul. And that's personal. It's more isolating. And it can look a whole lot different for each of us. It can look like fear or anger or sadness or loneliness or confusion or fill in the blank 
And these enemies pose a spiritual problem that can deplete our soul of its ability to endure, to carry on. They can chip away at our internal well-being and they can feel us like we have been eroded and totally depleted. As though we're, we're actually losing ourselves, We have nothing left. And what David understands is that there is only one person who can provide rescue from this problem. And that's the Lord. He can build up what has been eroded. He has the supplies to be able to do so. A strong face and self-determination is only going to get you so far. But it's the Lord who can bring restoration. Life comes from the Lord. Identity comes from the Lord. So what do we do when we trust God, but there are enemies surrounding us and we don't know what to do? We go to where he is. We go to where he is. We seek out his presence. He is the one who can rescue and restore, who can lift up our heads from the enemies that surround us, who can bring transformation. So what does that look like? And it, does, it doesn't have to be complicated. I think that's the beautiful thing about it. Seek out quiet space. Write down your prayers. Write down your requests. Make them known. Listen. Don't just barge in, demand things, and then walk out like he doesn't have anything to say. James 4.8 tells us, draw near to the Lord, and he will draw near to you. We don't have to overcomplicate it. We don't have to go to a specific location to be where the Lord is. He's everywhere. But we do have to carve out time to, go to, to, to be with him. We have to carve out space in our life for that. And this leads us to David's prayer that begins uh, in verse 7 and continues through verse 12. So he's built a case for his confidence, but there are enemies present. And so now he begins to plead with the Lord. And this is a summary of what he says. He says, hear me, be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. I am, I want to. Do not hide from me. Do not turn me away in anger. Do not cast me off. Do not forsake me. Even when the last of those on my side forsake me, take me in, teach me your way, lead me on a level path. Do not give me up to my adversaries. Earlier this summer, I went on vacation um, with my family to Colorado, and there are 11 of us when we're all, my immediate family, when we're all together, age, aging from six to 60. And we were all in the same cabin, so it was a little chaotic, but also very wonderful. And my niece Evangeline is nine, and we are basically best friends. So she wanted to stay with me while we were there, even though she had to sleep on the floor, and even though our bedtimes were several hours apart, she just wanted to be where I was. And so on the final evening, um, she and I stayed up reading in the room, and the book she was reading started to scare her a little bit. And she knew I had read it before, so she started to ask me questions about her book. And then she would ask me questions about my book. And then she would go back to questions about her book. And then she would ask me questions not related to either book at all. It probably went on like this for an hour. I don't think I got one page read. But I also didn't care. At one point, she said, Aunt Julia, am I annoying you? And I said, no way, babe, keep talking. I loved that moment with her. 
I loved that she wanted to sleep in my room even though it was on the floor. I love that she just wanted to be with me and talk to me and ask me questions. I love her. She's a delight to me. And I think that this is just a glimpse of how the Lord views us. He loves us. We are not a burden to him. We're a delight. And we need to know this. We need to hold it as truth. Somehow we've bought into this idea that God is distant or remote, that he is too busy. Because I got to tell you, if God is too busy for us, then he's not God. And we've got bigger issues on our hands. He loves us. We're a delight to him. Do you believe this? That God loves you. His love does not run out. His kindness goes on forever. His compassion for you and his graciousness have no limit. They're lasting. That is his disposition. But like David here, sometimes it doesn't feel that way. We know it's true, theoretically, but it doesn't feel like it's true because sometimes it does feel like he's not listening or he is far off or he is ignoring us or he's just fed up. The good news is that God's love for us is not based on how we feel. His, his reaction to you is not based on your mood, anything that you've done, any reaction that you have had towards him. His love for you is constant. Look back at what David says here. He says, hear me. Do not hide from me. Do not turn away. Do not forsake me. Teach me your ways. Lead me on your path. Do not give me up to my enemies. Now, does David really believe that the Lord will ignore him or actually hide or that this will be the moment when all the promises that God has made toward him will fail and everything will be over. No, no, he doesn't believe that. But it's that juxtaposition of confidence in anxiety. David has total confidence in who God is. He's seen it before. He wants to see it again. But there's still the turmoil of present anxiety. But pay attention here, because instead of shoving it down and pretending like it's not there and moving forward like everything is fine, he makes his anxiety known. He presents his requests to the Lord. It's the opposite of, re of refusing to press in. It's also the third answer to the question, what do I do when I trust God? But we bring our requests to the Lord. We go to where he is. We make our anxieties, fears, worries, anger, turmoil, whatever it is, we make it known. David trusts God. And because he trusts God, he's not afraid to bring him his reality. He knows deep down that the Lord is not going to ignore him or turn away or hide or give him up. But the anxiety is a present reality. And David presents it in full. With my niece, she started asking me questions because she was afraid. And I could have responded with, Evie, stop talking. Just read your book. You'll find out things as you go. Just keep reading. But why would I do that to her when I love her and I want to hear from her? 
when she just wants to be where I am and she trusts me enough to ask questions. Two weeks ago, when I was hesitant to bring up all that I was feeling with the Lord, he could have just left it, not brought it up at all. You don't want to share? Fine. Doesn't matter to me. And then we continue on with our lives like petulant children, passive-aggressively ignoring one another. But that's not the Lord. He does not behave this way. He presses in. He cares. He said, we have things we need to talk about. So let's do that first. David knows enough about God to know that he's not going to be abandoned. His confidence from the first few verses is seated in present experience. But he wants to be heard by the Lord and accepted. He wants guidance and protection, and he knows where to go for these things. And he's unafraid to enter into that space because he knows that the Lord will meet him there and not reject him. That is confidence in the midst of anxiety. He goes to his source and he trusts that the Lord is there, even if it doesn't feel like it. Which leads us to the final commission given in verses 13 and 14. Worship team, you guys can come back up. Verses 13 and 14 say, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. What do we do when we trust God, but we wait? We wait. We remain strong and we take courage because we know that we will see the goodness of the Lord. As I was forming this sermon, I asked the Lord, what is it you're wanting to say? And he responded with, what is it that I am saying to you? In all of this, in all that you've presented, in all that you are going through, what do you feel like I'm saying? And that's what led me to Psalm 27. Because what I felt like the Lord was saying to me was, wait, wait. The story isn't over. I'm not finished working. And I know that you don't understand. I know that you're frustrated. I know that you're sad or confused. But I'm not done working. Just wait. Just wait. Regardless of how David was feeling or how I am feeling or how you may be feeling about who the Lord is and what he may be up to, the truth is he's not finished working. As long as there is breath in your body, he will not be finished working. And we're going to take a few minutes to sit in that space. Because there's a lot to take in here. And this is our opportunity to be where the Lord is and present our realities to him. On your note sheet, uh, you'll see several questions listed at the bottom. This isn't a test. This isn't a workshop. You don't have to share this with anyone. But I want us to have a moment where we can be honest with ourselves and honest with the Lord. And you can write things down. You can close your eyes. You can take a couple minutes to just be. But we're going to go through the, the questions together. So if you take out your notes, look at the first question. And it says, we're going back to that emotionally healthy spirituality. 
exercise. And it's answering the question or thinking about the question, what am I angry about? What am I sad about right now? What is making me anxious right now? What are the things that are bringing me joy? And it's okay to acknowledge that all of these things are there below the surface. That you don't have to have a strong face. It's below the strong face. So take a few moments to think about these things. Write them down if you need to. Or mark them and come back to them. But let's take a few moments for that. With the next question, I want to think about the seat of our confidence. So we're asking the question, is the Lord my confidence or am I drawing from something else? What may need to change within me? So think about the moments in your life where he has been faithful, where he has been good. Make a note, write them down. If you haven't, start writing them down now. Pay attention moving forward. But look back on those moments where he has shown up and has been faithful, where he has been your confidence. third question is, do I believe that the Lord truly loves me and is present in my life? Can I believe this? On your note sheet, you'll see several scripture references. Check these out at some point. If you need to know how God feels about you, start there. Store these up because he loves you. Do you believe that? question, what does waiting look like for me? Because I'll tell you, waiting is not inaction. It's pressing in. It's listening. It's continuing to live life, believing that you will see the goodness of the Lord. So take a moment to think about what does waiting look like for me?
I know we haven't had a lot of time to go through these questions, but I want you to take it, this note sheet with you. If you need one, grab one on your way out. But this is stuff that you can, you can think about as you go through the week. Where do I need to remember that the Lord is my confidence? Where do I need to remember where he's been good? What do I need to change within me or present to him? What should waiting look like for me? If you want to go ahead and stand, we're going to move into our final worship song. Ushers can go ahead and come forward. We'll receive the offering at this time too. Um, If you are visiting with Eagle, you are under no obligation to give. But we believe in living generous lives. And part of that is the finances. So as we enter into this last song, let me pray for you. Lord, we thank you that you love us, that you're present even when it doesn't feel like it. Thank you that you know us, that you are not too busy. Help us to live our lives with you and not separate from you. Help us to be confident in who you are, to trust you with every situation, to come to you with our present realities, to present things to you in full, and to wait patiently for you. Holy Spirit, give us courage to do so. Thank you for the work that you have started in our lives, and thank you that you are the one who will complete it. We thank you for the stories that will come from the moments that we have with you, from the work that you do in our lives, the stories that are already coming. Thank you for the ways that you show up and you are good. We love you. Amen.